Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. That look like maybe you're maybe you're in school right now. How many of you, raise your hands nice and high, would have fond memories of math class? Very few, which is kind of what I expected, all right? This math is one of those things, you know? I actually have very fond memories of math. I had very dynamic, fun math teachers, and I learned to love math, so I like it a whole lot. So check this out. Hopefully this doesn't, like, give you palpitations when you see something like this. All right, bringing back some memories, some good, not so bad. All right, this is an equation, and it's got this magical thing right in the middle of it called an equal sign, which is why it's called an equation. And what it means when you have an equation is no matter how complex or complicated the thing on the left looks, it is exactly the same as the complicated, complex thing on the right side of the equal sign. They are equal to one another. They're the same. All right? And it also, in this equation, there's an X. It's not a number. It's a variable. It represents some number that if we only knew what that number was, we could make sense of this whole thing. Now, before I show you the answer, probably the moment that went up on the board, some of you like started Anybody know what X equals? No one? Where's Josh Killam? He's got to know. Nobody knows what X equals? All right, show us the answer. You solve it down through, and you go through your various steps, and you come to X equals 13. That's the, that's the variable, X equals 13. If we plug that back into the original equation, we would solve it down through, and that big complex thing would come out to look like 3 equals 3, which is much simpler and easy to understand. It's so precise. X equals 13. Another way we can say that is X is 13. So the passage, why am I doing this? The passage today is 1 John 4, verses 7 through 21, and no matter what Bible you have, regardless of its translation, you probably have a heading that says, God is love. So the title of today's message, in math term, in terms, is God equals love. And we're going to have three points, and each one's going to be presented as some sort of mathematical equation, all right? So God equals love. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the passage. Lord Jesus, we need your help. I need your help, Lord. Father, I ask this morning that you would wake us up, both physically and spiritually. Open our eyes wide. Open our ears wide. Help us to hear you and see you. Lord, fill my mouth uh, with your words, Lord. Don't let these words be mine. Let them be yours. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So here's the passage. This is 1 John 4, starting in verse 7 through the end of the chapter. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's a very common, well-known passage. And John, just like he does throughout this letter, he kind of speaks in circles. So there's some repetition in there. He tends to revisit the same kind of things and look at it from different angles. So let's see in this kind of longer passage what John is saying. The first point is this, a new equation. Born of God plus knowing God equals ability to love. Now what I want you to remember about this passage and about the entire letter of 1 John is that John is writing this to Christians, to those who have believed the gospel, who are new creations, and they're abiding in God. We know that because even in this passage and throughout the whole letter, he keeps using the word beloved. He's talking to us, those who've believed Jesus. He starts out by saying, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Now, in that opening, I want you to hear what he does say and what he doesn't say. What he does say is anyone who loves is two things, born of God and knows God. And then he goes on to say anyone who does not love does not know God. What he didn't say is that if we don't love, we're not born of God. And I think that's intentional when John writes that, because it is possible for us as new creations, believers in Christ Jesus, to fail to love. We've all, I'm so thankful to look around this room and see new creation believers in Christ all over this room, and hopefully joining us at home too. But we've all been at times hypocrites. We've been mean. We've been self-righteous. We've been self-absorbed. I've probably been all of those things this week. And so John has to tell us to love one another, speaking to Christians. He has to say it because we don't always do it. 
And so we need, to, we need to be reminded to love one another. And we know just by simple logic that it can't be true that if we fail to love, which we know we do, it can't be true that if we fail to love that we can't be born of God. Because if that were true, none of us would be born of God. Like Charles Spurgeon used to say, if we could lose our salvation, we would, right? So when he says that, that those who love are born of God, when we fail to love, it doesn't mean the opposite, that we're not born of God. Being born of God and knowing God are connected. When we had that moment, those of us who are believers, when we had that moment in our lives, when we came to know Christ and we were saved and made a new creation, we did come to know God at that point in some measure. There was a measure of knowledge that we were given and received about God. But being born of God is a one-time thing. It's a one-time thing. It happens once. It's kind of like it reminds me of how we are baptized once to show that we have been, to demonstrate that we've been born of God. But knowing God is an ongoing thing. It continues throughout our lives. And as we come to know him more and more, then we come to love him and show his love better and better. There are many of us in this room who are married, and as we uh, continue on in our marriages, hopefully, we are getting to know our spouses better, and we, we learn what pleases them, and we behave in such a way to love them the best that we could in a way that we know is pleasing to them, and that's good. But with God, it's even more profound than that, because when we know God, when we continue in getting to know God more and more, we're not just learning what pleases him, we're actually becoming more like him. Paul mentions this in Romans 8, 29. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That word conformed literally means to be uh, shaped or molded in, uh, to be similar in form or image. So think of this as like a mold. Like if, uh, are jello molds still a thing? Do people make <laughs> jello and put it in molds? Like imagine like a mold of our life. As we come to know God, that mold is shaped and chiseled and formed so that as our lives are poured in and out of this, this mold, it over time becomes more and more like Jesus. So we are molded and conformed in his image. And so that means that our first point equation, born of God plus knowing God equals the ability to love. Over time, as we know him more, it becomes born of God plus becoming more like God. Being conformed in his image equals loving the way God loves, loving in the manner that he prescribes. 
And so John, we've established all throughout this series that he speaks in circles. So he confirms this actually just a few verses later. It looks like it's in the next chunk, but he's basically saying the same thing. This is in verse 16 and 17. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. John uses that word perfected. And we probably have an idea in our mind right away what that means when we hear that word. But in the context of this letter, perfected doesn't mean like exactly perfectly right. It means accomplished. So for example, um, if, if I set a goal of building a house, entirely by myself and I bought the lumber and I bought the materials and I set to work building a house when I put the last nail in or the last shingle on the roof and I was ready to move in I could say that the house was perfected I you can trust me to say the house would not be perfect in the sense that it would have no errors all right but the goal would be accomplished all right does that make sense how he's using perfected here it's accomplished in us. So for love to be a thing in our lives, for it to be accomplished in our lives, not just any love, but the kind of love that God prescribes, God's love, for it to be accomplished in our lives, then we must be born of God and know God. Love being accomplished in us, his love only happens through faith in Christ. You must be born again. It's the only way that love can be accomplished in our lives. But the other definition of perfected, I think, applies here too, because as we said, as, as we come to know God more and our lives are molded like him into the image of his son, then the love that we put on display is going to look more and more like the love that he prescribes. And so how can we know, how can we know as we pursue him that the love that we are attempting to show is the love that God wants us to show? How can we know that ideal, that perfect mold? Well, that takes us to the next point. This is a mathematical statement. You might not have seen one like this. It's God sent his son, and you read it like this, if God sent his son, then love was manifest, and if love was manifest, then we should love one another. In math, this is called the law of syllogism. Try spelling that one, all right? The law of syllogism. What it basically means is that there is a series of events that cause one another. So first thing happens, causes the next, causes the next, causes the next, and you go on down the line, however many there are, and when you're done, you can rightly say that the first one caused the last one. So if that's confusing, consider this. Imagine that you're in the shower and you turn the water off. That can be considered the first causation. When you turn the water off, what's result, what results? The water stops pouring out of the shower head. And if the water stops pouring out of the shower head, then we stop getting wet, right? So that's three things in relationship, and you can say through the law of syllogism that the first caused the third. So if we turn the handle off, turn the water off in the shower, we stop getting wet. Make sense? 
Okay, so John, I don't know if he was thinking about math when he wrote this, but he wrote in verses 9 through 11 a syllogism. See if you can find it in here, okay? It's a little tricky because grammar in the first century was a bit different, so he writes his syllogism a little out of order. It says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So can you start to see the relationship in there? Because it's a little out of order. The first the first thing, which doesn't occur first in the scripture, is that God loved us first. He sent his son. Jesus came in the flesh to this place to take our place. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about when he uses that word propitiation. God's wrath was rightly aimed at us as sinners. But Jesus came and he gave a gift in our place, the gift of his own life and his sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath. So God, in his act of sending his only son, was the first causation in this series of events. That's the first thing. He sets the whole thing in motion. What's the result? Well, that's the second thing. The second thing is actually the thing that John mentions first. He says, love is manifest. What that, what that means, manifest, love being manifest, is that in this place, we received in Jesus a real life, tangible evidence of God's love. And none of us in this room were alive at that time to actually be able to see Jesus in the flesh, but his ministry was recorded for us and given to us. So we have this evidence of God's love manifest in this world. That's the second thing. Um, John says this in, in verse 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This is a recurring theme, not only in this passage, but really in John's whole life. If you look at the parts of the Bible that John wrote, his letters and the Gospel of John, he, he's bringing this up all the time. This is the same John who, who preached in the Gospel of John that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. I want you to remember that phrase for the rest of this morning. Full of grace and truth. It's so important to getting what I think the Lord wants us to hear today. John's been preaching this his whole life. So love was manifest, full of grace and truth. And what logically follows? What's the third step in the syllogism? Well, here's what it is. John's saying, Christian brothers and sisters, if God loved you enough to send his son full of grace, which means we've been given so many gifts that we never earned 
and we never deserved, if he sent his only son full of grace and truth, a perfect manifestation of God's love, then we should love each other the same way. The same way. Which, if you think, means we're going to have to love those who have not earned or deserved it because we haven't earned or deserved it. We need to love each other in the same way that Christ loved us. John is talking to Christians, and he's talking about Christians. I don't want you to think for a moment when we say we need to love those who haven't earned or deserved it, that we're talking about like those other people who don't know Christ. We're talking about all of us. <laughs> we all fall short of earning or deserving other people's love. And so he's talking to us, prescribing this way that we should love, and he's talking about us too because we all fall short of it. The result, if we can do that, the result is kind of mind-blowing and beyond comprehension. John, John says this in verse 12 of 1 John 4. He says, no one has ever seen God. And that's kind of a, clever, kind of a strange phrase when he first says it. it. It seems like he's kind of having this old man moment where he like goes down a rabbit trail and is talking about something else unrelated. He's right in the middle of all this conversation about love and what God has done for us. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. But I think John knows what, what he's doing when he says, no one has ever seen God. Let's, let's follow the, the chain of events in our syllogism and see where this goes. God was the initial causation. He sent his son. The result was love was manifest. The perfect representation of God's love in Jesus Christ. The result should be, John is saying, we should love one another. We should put on display in our lives the same kind of love with which God loved us. And if we do that, then those around us, those that we are reaching out to with God's love, will see God's love in us. And what's the title of the message? God equals love. So if people are seeing God's love on display in us and God is love, then in this world, seeing God's love as he prescribes it is going to be the closest thing we get to seeing God himself until we are with him looking at his face. Does that make sense? So I don't think it's an accident that John says in the middle of this conversation on love, no one has ever seen God. What he's saying is you have the opportunity to love others in a way that are going to help them see God as clearly as they can in this place. And everyone needs God's love, believers and non-believers. And I, I think this is the thing that we miss too often. I said at the beginning that we often fail at loving one another. We can be believers in Jesus. We can be born again, new creations, and we can fail at loving well or even loving 
at all. I've, I've failed at it millions of times. In, in fact, there, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but there are things that I even preached when the last time I preached a few weeks ago that fell short of God's ideal love for others. And I need to own that. Last time, last time I preached, I spoke on the passage about false teachers and I talked about various lies that are common in our culture. And to illustrate one of the points I was making, I used an example of, uh, of a, a particular sin struggle. And I said at the time that I was hoping to spend more time on this later. I was going to come back to that topic again today. Well, my first apology is that I said that, but I'm not going to do it. All right? I'm not going to do it. Um, so I apologize for saying that a couple of weeks ago. It would not be helpful to do that today. The bigger issue is this. When I handled that topic, I did it in a way that did not make it sufficiently clear that anyone who struggles with that temptation or any other sinful struggle that there is in this world, anyone, I did not make it clear that no matter what the sin struggle is in your life, God loves you. He loves you. He came for sinners. Jesus died for you. He died for sinners. We said that, we read from John's gospel that Jesus came full of grace and truth. When I preached a couple of weeks ago, I was heavy on the truth side of things. I don't, I don't think that what I said that week was untrue. But I was a whole lot of truth and not a lot of grace. And Jesus was full of grace and truth. If, we, if you are sitting in this room or listening at home and you have been saved, you're saved by grace. You have been given buckets and buckets of grace. And not just when you were saved, every minute of your life since. We have been the recipients of an immeasurable amount of grace. It covers every shortcoming. We sing a song from time to time, grace unmeasured, vast and free. It's true. It's, it's immeasurable. And because every one of us continues to sin, even after we're saved, we continue to sin, it's that grace that draws us to repentance. It's what draws us to repentance, to leave the entanglement of sin because of the beauty of God's free gift. If we could demonstrate like Jesus did the amount of grace that he showed in loving others who didn't deserve it, it would change so many lives. It would change so many lives. So, if you are hearing this and you are caught in any sin, if you are drawn to anything of this world that the Lord would not want you to be drawn to, I want to make it as clear as possible because I didn't make it clear last time. We love you and we want you here. And when I'm talking about the you in that sentence, it should be all of you because we all fall in this category. We love you and we want you here. Now, I also need to be clear that that does not mean 
that we approach this by overlooking what Scripture calls sin. There's truth, full of grace and truth. And I'm not going to go down this road because it could be a whole different sermon series, but Paul talks about this at length in Romans about the grace that we've been given and how that is not a license to live however we want. So recommended reading for this week, the book of Romans, okay? So whether it's pride or greed or anger or lust or envy, we could make a list of sins miles and miles long. The reality is for believers in Christ, we are going to need to be encouraged and we are gonna need to encourage others strongly at times to lay those things down and walk righteously before the Lord. There's no better way to see the balance of this than to look at how Jesus did it. So let's go back to John's gospel and look at a famous example. This is from John 8. It says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. That probably made them so mad. <laughs> it made them so mad. He just ignored all the noise. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. There were no stone throwers in that crowd, only sinners. And if we had been there to witness this, we would have had to wander away also. We could not have picked up a stone because we are not without sin. The only person in that crowd who had any justification for picking up a stone and throwing it because he was without sin was Jesus. And he didn't throw stones either. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. He condemned the sin, but he did not condemn the woman. I said we often miss this thing, this how to love others, the way God loved, full of grace and truth. I think we miss it in two ways. First of all, the first way is the title of this message is God equals love. We take that equation and we reverse it. We mean well, we reverse it. And we say love equals God. And we elevate care and concern for others and we should deeply care and be concerned for one another. We should. But we elevate it to a point where we are afraid to say hard things. When Jesus said to her, go and sin no more, like we've probably read that a million times. And I don't know if it was hard for Jesus to say, but imagine how hard it was for the woman to hear. Like we see it as this little snippet in the Gospel of John, but in her life, like she had a relationship. 
She was caught in the act of adultery because there was a relationship with someone. And Jesus was saying, give up that relationship. Like what are the, I mean, we have no idea what the effects, what the ramifications were for her in that moment as she's being told, quit it. Don't do that anymore. So it was a hard thing for her to, 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 say, to hear. And he spoke the truth to her. He told her that what she was doing was sin, but he didn't say it without grace. He started with, neither do I condemn you. And that's the other way we miss it. And I think this way is the more harmful way. I could be wrong about that, but it seems to me that when we miss it this way, it's the more harmful way. We confuse condemning the sin with the condemning of the person. And as I say that, probably all around the room, maybe, you have an idea in your mind of some sin. Whatever you think like the big, bad, worst sin is. And it's kind of like the, the sin, I would never do that kind of sin. You know, that, that we would condemn in someone else while we, don't, while we attempt to not condemn the person. But whatever that sin is in your mind, it's in this room. It's in this room, no matter what it is. We can make a list of miles, miles and miles long. It's us that we're talking about. It's us. He's talking to Christians about Christians. And whatever that sin is, there are people sitting here who are probably suffering shame because of what they've done. They're probably sad. They probably want to please the Lord, but they keep failing at it. Maybe like the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, maybe it's been put on display and they're embarrassed. And so when we don't, when we address these things, no matter what it is, with tons of truth and not grace, it hurts so badly. It hurts people so badly. So we have to have a love that is full of, of grace. We have to do the hard work of staying vigilant that we are loving the way God loves because we want those who need God's love, which is to say all of us, we want those, all of us, to want to be here, to want to be here and want to hear God's life-changing love. Zach Collins, this is amazing. Technology is amazing. Zach Collins just put a note in my notes <laughs> saying that I messed up the original equation. If you want to cycle back, I fixed it. Are you talking about the original, original equation? Put it up there. <laughs> Good job, Zach. That's amazing. It doesn't matter. It's okay. It's okay. The zeros were not superscript. Anything to the power of zero is one. That's what makes it. That's probably why nobody had an answer. Everybody's like, wait, what? Okay, all right. <laughs> that, was, that was funny. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> we all need God's love, and we need it full of grace and truth. Okay? Now, in that original equation, there was an X, a variable that if we only knew what it was, remember X equaled 13 once we got our zeros in the right spot, right? 
Uh, if we only knew what that X was, it made sense of the whole thing. Well, there's an X, there's a variable, there's something that makes sense of John's passage, and that brings us to the third point. X equals the Holy Spirit, all right? X equals the Holy Spirit. None of the steps in John's series of events, that syllogism that we talked about, none of the, none of the events in that series are possible without God's Holy Spirit, not e especially not the very first one. Being born of God is not possible without God acting first. He says this in John 14 through the beginning of part 16, he, uh, verse 16. He says this, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. If you follow that backwards through the series of events, we abide in him and we know him. Why? Well, step backwards. It's because we have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. Why have we done that? Well, we've done that because we have come to believe. John says, literally, uh, he says, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son. We haven't seen him physically, but we've seen the evidence and we believe it. Why? We didn't, we didn't get there on our own power, our own strength. Why did we believe it? Well, we did it because God did a miraculous work by his Holy Spirit in our hearts that caused us to believe it. We didn't come to that conclusion all by ourselves. In John's Gospel, chapter 15, probably Joe Ryer's favorite verse in the Bible, I think. It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's not a single step in that process that is possible apart from God. And this is the main thing. All right, we go through these three points and we're talking about God's love. This is the thing I want you to take from here. If you've heard this message today and you have been challenged to love people differently than you have, to love people who have not earned or deserved love in some way, and you want to love them full of grace and truth, then you need to call on God to help you by your Holy Spirit because you cannot do it on your own. You need God's miraculous Holy Spirit intervention. And if you are listening to this and all of this talk of love and knowing God and being born of God and this whole thing, this whole series of events is foreign to you because Perhaps you don't, you haven't come to know God. You haven't been born of God. You think maybe perhaps that you not only haven't earned or deserved it, but there's no chance that anyone, especially God, could ever love you in light of the things that you've done 
or desire? Well, I would encourage you to call on God. Do it right now. There's no special thing you have to say. Just call on the Lord. Lord Jesus, I need buckets and buckets of your grace. I can't imagine that that's possible, but I'm hearing that it might be. Lord, help me. Forgive me. And if you do that, he will, by his Holy Spirit, cause you to be born brand new. And this impossible thing in your mind will become possible only through God's miraculous intervention. Don't waste a day. Don't waste a minute. Do it right now. And most of this message has been kind of like what we should do as an outward focus toward others. Like how do we love others? Like we as believers, how do we do that? But the crazy thing is, is that in this passage, John also includes that there is benefit for us, believers who, who do this, who pursue this kind of love, there is a benefit for us. It says this, 1 John 4, 17 and 18, by this, love is perfected, accomplished with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because ha as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This fear that he's talking about in this context is the fear of God's judgment, the fear of God's wrath that we at one time rightly deserved. But Jesus took our place. He paid the, the price. He gave the gift that satisfied God's wrath. And as we know God, as we're born of God and we come to know him and we love full of grace and truth as he has loved, that love not only affects other people's lives, but it drives out of us the fear of God's wrath on the day of judgment, which is coming. It, it drives out the fear that we're going to suffer God's wrath, which we rightly deserved, but has been removed far from us. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, the band can come up. We're going to be closing here with just the last two last thoughts, but the band can come up and get ready. I think what made Jesus so attractive to people when he was here on this earth in his earthly ministry, and he wasn't attractive to everybody. There were obviously plenty who hated him. But for those who followed him, I think what made him so attractive is that he spoke the truth and he loved full of grace unconditionally. The people that flocked to Jesus and followed him were those at that time who were considered the outcasts of society and he did not drive them away. He did not drive them away. He did a couple of things. He embraced them in love, full of grace. And then he spoke the truth in a way that raised the bar 
for righteousness higher than anyone had ever even heard of. I mean, you remember the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just about murdering someone. You shouldn't do that, obviously. But I'm saying to you, Jesus is saying, if you're even angry with someone, it's the same thing. You shouldn't commit adultery, but if you even look at someone else with lust in your heart, it's the same thing. He raised the bar of truth unbelievably high. And then he met that standard. He met that standard. And they loved him for it. Someone whose standard was that high could meet that very high standard, but did not drive away sinners in need of grace. And I think the most beautiful thing, if we can, if we can excel in this area of loving God the way Jesus loved us, I think one of the most beautiful things is God's love on display in us toward others resulting in those, which is all of us, who have things that we need to lay down, laying down those desires, those inclinations, that mile-long list of things that we love about this world, laying those things down because we've seen a love that's better. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine showing people a love that is so much better than anything here that it's easy. It's an easy decision to follow after that love. Amen? Let's pray and then let's sing. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our voices lifted high to you in song. And so, Lord, as we sing this last song, Father, help us to see just how much you have loved us. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, because that's the only way that it's possible, Lord, I ask that you would help us to love as you have loved. You loved us first, Lord. Let us be to all of those around us your love in this place. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing. Would you stand up, please?